Aren't we grateful that the Lord brought Dallas to us? Well, as we turn to the Word of God, let's, let's have a prayer together, shall we? Father, we just thank you so much for your love and your grace and your mercy to us. We thank you that while we were yet sinners, you sent your Son for us and showed us your love. And by your grace, you allowed us to respond to your love and to surrender our lives to you. We pray for any here who have yet to make that decision. We pray that you would fill each of us today with your Holy Spirit and with a ever-enlarging love for your word, Lord. We thank you so much for this, these next moments to just revel in your word, to drink in your word, to be changed and cleansed and uh, filled with your Holy Spirit through your word. We thank you so much. We ask you to open the eyes of our hearts now. Take us way beyond the words of this message uh, and teach us what you want us to know and how you want us to live. We bless you, Lord, and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. So about a month ago, I preached a message called Being Mastered by the Word of God, and we talked about how it's one thing to master the Word of God, but how we want to even more so be mastered by it. And um, as I prayed about today, um, I just couldn't get away from the sense that this might be a two-part message, and uh, during the first part, I asked you to hit the reset button on your relationship with the Word of God. Steve, is this cutting in and out? Do you want me to just use this one? Okay. We saw that there was a direct correlation between love for the Word and love for God, and this is highlighted in uh, John chapter 14 in a couple of verses, well, really the whole chapter, but I want to highlight a couple of verses. Um, verse 21, he who has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me, and he who loves me shall be loved by my Father, and I will love him and will disclose myself to him. And then a couple of verses later, Jesus said to, to those, uh, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our abode or our home with him. I made the statement in that first message that how we attend to the Word of God will determine the depth of our relationship with God. If we treat the Word cavalier, cavalierly, uh, that will be the uh, look of our love for God and our relationship with God. If we seriously attend to the Word of God regularly, consistently, lovingly, if we love the truth, uh, we will have a close and deeper relationship with God. A couple of things that I didn't say 
that I'd like to just mention is that the gospel writer Luke mentions in the first um, few verses of his gospel that he, he calls himself a servant of the word, a servant of the word. Isn't that a beautiful expression? Um, it's one that I've taken in for myself. He says this, Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile an account of the things accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and servants of the word and have handed them down to us, it seemed fitting for me as well, O O excellent Theophilus, to so that you might know the exact truth about the things you've been taught. So I like that Luke called himself a servant of the word, and that's what I want to aspire to be to you and to the Lord. Also, I didn't say that in BASIC, when I led BASIC, our youth group, um, I told the kids that if they memorized two verses of Scripture, I would do 50 sit-ups. And um, so they began to see how far I could go. And um, pretty quickly, I developed a six-pack, believe it or not, that turned into an eight-pack and then a 16-pack. And I had to stop before it took over my face. Uh, But in all seriousness, uh, my son-in-law, one of them, Stuart Davis, he had me doing thousands of crunches a week. It was too time-consuming, not to mention painful. So uh, he smoked me. But we saw from um, John 14 that knowing the Word of God and doing it is the key to intimacy with God, fruitfulness with God, and friendship with God. And most of you at the end of that message, stood in repentance and renewal of your relationship to God. And so I just want to remind you, if you did stand, to not treat that prayer in a cavalier way, but to continue to press on in the Word of God. This morning I want to look specifically at meditating on the Word of God. Um, I believe the Lord is continuing to call us to a deeper walk in his word. How many of you remember uh, the navigator's uh, picture of the word hand? Uh, Laura, you know it. Anybody else know that? Where um, they say uh, that the pinky is to hear the word of God. The the ring finger is to... um, read the Word of God. The middle finger is to study the Word of God. The index finger is to memorize the Word of God. And the thumb is to meditate on the Word of God. When I think of meditating on the Word of God, the first place my mind goes is to a place I've mentioned before called the Baptism River in northern Minnesota. I'm camping with my friend Gary. I think we were juniors in high school. Gary was uh, instrumental in leading me to the Lord. So here we are, probably our, our junior year in high school, if I remember right, and I'm washing dishes in the uh, river, our, our dinner dishes, and Gary said to me, Jim, um, 
I've been thinking about Job chapter 5, verse 7, that says, As a man, uh, for a man is born to trouble as the sparks fly upward. What do you think that means? Do you think sparks are purification? Do you think it's judgment? Do you think fire sometimes is representative maybe of the Holy Spirit? And you know what I was thinking? I was thinking, dude, you're a junior in high school, and we're on the Baptism River, and you're thinking about Job chapter 5, verse 7, this obscure verse, and yet what a beautiful moment where I see into the mind of my friend, and he's thinking and pondering a verse in the Bible. Another memory I have is coming to TCF for the first time and, and wanting to get involved. And Laura and I went to a sun, our first Sunday school class at TCF, and it was on memorizing scripture with uh, Bing and Lorraine Leapline. And we memorized something like 50 verses uh, in that class and just had a marvelous time. That couple was full of the joy of the Lord. And uh, lastly, a third image in my mind about meditating on Scripture was in the last years of Dr. Farah's life, I would go visit him once a week, and after we had had a meal, we would go to his room, and um, we would read from the book of Proverbs, and he would read one proverb and make a comment on it, and I would read one proverb and make a comment on it. And we would just work through a chapter of Proverbs that way. So let's take a deeper look at meditating on the Word of God and its benefits to us. First of all, I think, uh, I think we need to say something about what is meditation. Um, biblical meditation is not where you empty your mind. Um, it's not an eradication of desire. It's not trying to achieve a transcendent state of nirvana or um, where there's neither suffering nor desire nor the sense of self. It's not a quest to achieve oneness with all that is divine in the universe. What's that called? Pantheism, where everything is divine, um, including us. No, biblical meditation is actually filling our minds, filling our minds with God's word, with his works, with his glory, his character, his deeds, his plan of salvation, his cross, his one and only son, Jesus Christ, his great love for us, the wonder and splendor of his majesty, his righteousness, his glory, and even meditating on the person of God himself. And so let's look at some benefits of meditating on the Word of God. The first place I want to look is Luke chapter 4, uh, verses 1 through 13. This is where Jesus is tempted by the devil in the desert at the beginning of his ministry. And the point I want to make here is that meditating on the Word of God equips us to successfully 
battle and engage and defeat our enemy, the evil one, the devil. So here's Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit. He's returned from the Jordan, and he was led about by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and when they had ended, he became hungry. And the devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Do you remember a time in your life where you were so hungry uh, that you just did some good old-fashioned binge eating? Can you, can you remember that feeling of just being so hungry you're going to explode if you don't put something in your mouth? When I'm like that, I wait till Laura leaves the room. Uh, <laughs> And then I take a spoonful of peanut butter, and I put it on my tongue, and then I grab the honey, and I just... (laughs) It works wonders, Heather. It's great. Yeah, so Jesus is hungry, and the devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, It is written, man shall not live on bread alone. And he led him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said to him, I will give you all this domain and its glory, for it has been handed over to me, and I give it to whomever I wish. Therefore, if you worship before me, it shall all be yours. And Jesus answered and said to him, It is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And he led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, you are, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, He will give his angels charge concerning you to guard you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. So here the devil is even quoting scripture. And Jesus answered and said to him, It is said, You shall not put the Lord God to, your t- to the test. So... We see here that Jesus was fighting and defeating the enemy through the word of God. That was what was in his head. He wasn't using psychology. He wasn't using any other thing except the word of God. And then verse 13 is just parenthetically or off to the side, an interesting verse. And when the devil had finished every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. And isn't that how the devil is? He waits till we're weak, and then he returns. I have a men's group, um, and these men come, and it's part of my counseling practice. And there's one man in there that I just uh, care about him so much and love him so much. He's this old, if just imagine an old biker who's uh, had drug problems, alcohol problems, uh, sex addiction problems, and yet he's a big marshmallow inside. Looks real tough on the outside, but inside he's a big marshmallow. And, and this man has literally paid me hundreds of dollars to try to help him to overcome a, sin, a, sin, a particular sin habit. doesn't matter what the sin is. Um, and we've examined his behavior, his thoughts, his emotions, everything, 
and uh, he's really not summoned the will or however it works to conquer this, this habit. But uh, this past week, he said, when he came to group, he said, at that moment when I was tempted this week, he said, uh, this thought hit me that I should just pick up my Bible and read. And so he said, I did. I just read the word, and, and uh, you know what? Within five minutes, that whole temptation was gone. And um, a few nights later, apparently, he said he was sound asleep, and suddenly he woke up throwing his hands up in the air and singing a worship song. And uh, isn't that an incredibly powerful testimony to the Word of God. You don't have to pay a guy like me hundreds of dollars. You can just pick up your Bible and start reading and be set free from so much. But there's even a wilder creature than, than my friend that I just described. The wildest creature of all time in the animal kingdom, the one that takes the greatest risks, the one that is the most unpredictable and can wreak the greatest havoc on God's green earth is the animal called the adolescent male. (laughs) And so the Bible makes the case that it's only the Word of God that can contain that animal. You're probably thinking of the verses that I am Psalm 119, 9 and 11, how can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to thy word. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. And then also 1 John 2, 14, we read the old apostle John is writing and he says, I have written to you young men because you are strong. And the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. That's a neat thing to know, isn't it? That the word of God can even tame this wild creature called the adolescent male. I love Isaiah 40, verse 8. It says, the grass withers, the flower falls, but what? The word of our God stands forever. Wow. So, first point is that meditating on the Word of God equips us to do successful battle with the enemy, the evil one, the devil. Secondly, I want to say that meditating on the Word of God washes and transforms us. How many of you have had that experience of going to the Word and reading and you just feel and sense that you're being washed, you're being cleansed. Now, we know it's the blood of Christ that truly cleanses us from all unrighteousness, but the Word also has some kind of power. It says in Ephesians 5.26, talks about being washed by the pure water of the Word. Romans 12.2, it talks about being transformed by the renewing of our minds. Hebrews 4.12, that the word of God is living and active, 
sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joint and marrow, discerning, able to discern the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And as so often happens, science seems to confirm the Word of God. I have here an article called, How to Delete Porn from Your Brain. But let's not limit this to pornography. Let's say any intrusive thought, any intrusive image, any mental torment that you're going through, I think what this article has to say will fascinate you and apply to what we're talking about. Um, There is a cinematic teaching series that helps men get free from porn, examines why porn addiction isn't mainly a moral problem. It starts off as a moral issue, but quickly becomes a brain problem. As the saying goes, neurons that fire together wire together. So the more you practice speaking a language, positive self-talk, playing an instrument, or watching porn, the stronger those circuits become. This is why men often end up in bondage to pornography. New research shows the ability to learn is more than building and strengthening connections, however. Even more important is the process called synaptic pruning, the purging of old neural connections or thoughts that aren't being used. Authors Judah Pollack and Olivia Fox Cabain use a garden analogy to explain this. Please hang with me here, because this is um, really interesting stuff. Your brain is like a garden. Imagine your brain is a garden, except instead of growing flowers, fruits, and vegetables, you grow synaptic connections between neurons. Glial cells are the gardeners of your brain. Other glial cells are the waste removers, pulling up weeds, killing pests, raking up dead leaves. The synaptic connections that get used less and less get marked with a protein called C1Q, as well as others. When the glial cells detect that mark, they bond to the protein and destroy or prune the synapse. In other words, your glial cells wash your brain, removing thoughts that are not being accessed. This is while you sleep. It's like your brain's recycling bin. It certainly gives the verse, Ephesians 5.26, the washing with water through the word, a whole new significance. 2,000 years ago, Paul was telling us that Scripture has the power to wash our brains literally. Your brain cleans itself out when you sleep. Your brain cells shrink by up to 60% to create space for your glial gardeners to remove the waste and prune the synapses. So this article is saying if you want to clean up your mind of ungodly images or ungodly thoughts, take your Bible to bed and put it on your nightstand and read a few verses before you fall asleep. Because whatever you're not focusing on, those cells are going to come through your brain like a street cleaner and clean up old cells that are not being used and destroy them. Isn't that beautiful? When you think of Romans 12, 2, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed 
by the renewing of your mind. One of the things we tell men to do is to prepare for the battle each night by meditating on the scriptures before bed. Why? Because God's word has the power to physically restructure our brains. I want to just pray over you that we would all long for the pure milk of the word, like newborn babes, that by it we would grow in respect to salvation. So point number two is as we meditate on the word of God, it washes and transforms and changes us into the image of his son. A third point is meditating on the word of God ushers us into the deep things of God. During the last sermon, I had the sense that how we attend to the word makes all the difference between being a superficial Christian and a profound Christian or a Christian of great depth. And that raised the question, what, what, what does a profound or deep Christian know or understand or have experienced that a more superficial Christian uh, maybe has not? And I thought of, of three things. I mentioned them briefly a month ago, and that is a profound or deep Christian has truly experienced and walks in the fear of the Lord. Um, A second thing that came to me is a truly deep Christian or profound Christian has experienced godly sorrow over sin. Um, And we'll discuss each of these. And then a third thing is with this kind of Christian, their relationship with God is the all-consuming number one priority of their life. Um, they can give attention to other relationships and, and live healthy lives, but, but you just know about them that their life is, is all about this one-to-one relationship with Jesus Christ. So let's take a look to illustrate this a little bit. Let's take a look at Proverbs 2, uh, the first uh, few verses. Notice how it starts out talking about the word. My son, if you will receive my sayings and treasure my commandments within you, make your ear attentive to wisdom, incline your heart to understanding. If you cry out for discernment and you lift your voice for understanding, if you seek her as silver and search for her as for hidden treasures, then you will discern the fear of the Lord, and discover the knowledge of God. I don't know how to describe the fear of the Lord, except that there's this sense of sobriety, there's a sense of reverence, there's a sense of um, just being galvanized and hemmed in in my relationship with the Lord. Um, There's reverence and there's excessive care to walk with the Lord every moment of every day. And then the second thing about godly grief 
I think a, a deep Christian has been willing to confront their own sinfulness rather than to avoid it or blame others or, um, or minimize it and say, my sinfulness is not so bad. You see, it's a healthy thing to love yourself, but it's also a healthy thing in the spiritual sense to despise yourself. Uh, Job 42, verse 6, said, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. The ancient Jews, when they repented, they would rip their garments, and as an act of humility, they would pick up the dirt and throw it on the top of their heads. Um, They knew how to express godly sorrow. Today, people barely admit responsibility for anything, and uh, we're only sad if we get caught or if we've disappointed someone. Proverbs 8.13 says, the fear of the Lord is the hatred of evil. And then there's this sense that um, the person who has experienced these deeper things, that, that their relationship with the Lord is of utmost preeminence in their life. Um, it's as if there's an audience of one for these folks. In other words, I care about you, I care about me, but, but what I care most about is him and my relationship with him, my standing with him, my pleasing. A good, a good phrase to capture this is the audience of one. I'm performing for one, not for many. I'm performing for him in this life. Psalm 51, verse 4, is, um, if you remember, Psalm 51 is where King David is repenting after Nathan, the prophet, confronts him about having Uriah, one of his generals, killed and stealing Uriah's wife, Bathsheba, and lying with her um, and basically stealing her as one of his, making her one of his wives. And in the midst of that, prayer of repentance, he says, against thee, thee only, I have sinned and done what is evil in thy sight. Now, (laughs) I think Uriah probably felt he had been sinned against, and uh, probably Bathsheba felt she had been sinned against, and yet David, his focus was so much on the Lord. He was so into what we're talking about, that he made this statement, against thee and thee only have I sinned. Isn't that something to make, make you wonder? Meditating on the word of God, I want to say, ushers us into the deep things of God. I pray for you that you will know the fear of the Lord, that you will... Uh, 
be able to face your own resident evil and have moments like Job had where you, you literally hate yourself or better stated, you hate the evil within yourself and, um, and you have this sense of the audience of one. The last point I want to make is meditating on the Word of God will make you into an extremely powerful person. Let's look at Psalm 119, 97, verse 97 through 104. This is David again, and he says, Oh, how I love thy law. It is my meditation all the day. Thy commandments make me wiser than my enemies, for they are ever mine. I have more insight than all my teachers, for, for thy testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the aged, because I have observed thy precepts. I have restrained my feet from every evil way, that I may keep thy word, and so on. By being a, becoming a powerful person, what I mean is that you become confident, you become very courageous, you become wise, and most of all, you become influential. You start to greatly influence the people around you for the Lord. You will influence, but you will not be influenced, and you will be successful in all you do. Let's look at Joshua chapter 1. This is a great example um, you remember Moses had died, and Joshua was taking over uh, the mantle from Moses to lead the people of Israel. And starting in verse 5, the Lord says to Joshua, No man will be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I have been with Moses, I will be with you. I will not fail you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous. And three times in that chapter, the Lord says to to him, be strong or be very strong and very courageous. But down in verse 8, this is the key verse here that I want to point out. He says to Joshua, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have success. You know, Joshua was following in the footsteps of a powerhouse named Moses. Joshua, to that point, was largely untested, and yet he was about to assume, or he was assuming, authority over two and a half million people. And so the Lord was saying, you know, be strong and very courageous. I will be with you every place you go. Uh, you will take it as your possession. My Bible note says, What comfort and assurance it must have been as the Lord spoke directly to Joshua, assuring him of his presence with him as he had been with Moses, and giving him the key to success, meditating upon God's word. I remember being in China with Hallett, and um, uh, I was one of the scheduled speakers at a, a convention, I guess I'll call it, for uh, English teachers, you know, in, uh, in China. 
And I had what I thought was a good message ready to go, and the man who got up in front of me had the very same message, uh, only it was better and funnier. He was incredibly funny, and it just totally freaked me out. I felt like Joshua right there, like, what do I do now? Uh, and thankfully, Hallett let me uh, change the schedule and gave me some time to pray, and, and God came through for me. But, um, but yeah, meditating on the Word of God uh, will determine our success in life. There's a well-known preacher, uh, Tony Evans, and he's got a series called The Kingdom Man. And um, in, that, in that series, he talks about, you know, men being who are so focused on being kingdom men, so focused on the Word of God, so focused on um, the Lord, that um, when they wake up in the morning, the devil should be saying, oh, crap, he's getting up. <laughs> or, oh, no, she's getting up. Uh, isn't that, that's kind of fun, isn't it? His son, Jonathan, I heard one message that he gave, and he talked about how his dad at after dinner, every night, without fail, they pushed the dishes back, and uh, Tony Evans would open his Bible and just share things out of the Word, share his wisdom. And Jonathan referred to that as eating off my father's plate. And so during this message, he said, when, when uh, people ask me what's the best thing about being in ministry with your father... Uh, and he said, he said, the best thing is I get to keep eating off my father's plate. And uh, that could be the title of our message this morning, couldn't it? Let's keep eating off our father's plate. Let's keep eating off of his plate. We become powerful because as the Holy Spirit works through God's word in us, we develop the mind of Christ and you know this passage, 1 Corinthians 2, starting in verse 12. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might know the things freely given to us by God. A natural man does not accept the things of the spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised. But he who is spiritual appraises all things, Yet he himself is appraised by no man. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he should instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Meditating on the word of God will make you into an extremely powerful person. I want to conclude by saying it really comes down to this. How hungry are you still? No matter how long you've known the Lord, how hungry are you still for the Word of God? Are you wanting to successfully do battle with the evil one? Are you wanting to be washed and transformed? Are you wanting to experience the deep things of God? And are you wanting to be spiritually powerful and influential. I want to say that the key for us is the same as it was for Joshua.
to meditate on the Word of God day and night. Revelation 22.17 says, Let the one who is thirsty come. Very, very close to the last verses of the Bible. And I want to say that I'm not thirsty anymore because God has quenched my thirst, but I'm still hungry. I'm not thirsty, but I'm still hungry. I'm still hungry for the Word of God, and I know you are too. I know you're hungry. And so I want to pray together just that God would enlarge our love for his word. Amen? So would you stand with me as we pray this prayer together? Father, we want to take your word to heart. We want to grow in our rumination, our pondering your word. I pray that as we go about our days your word would be in our minds and our hearts. We would be in a continual conversation with you. And your Holy Spirit would be continually teaching us more and more and more about you. Thank you that your word is a gold mine that never plays out. Your word is a treasure. Your word is is a love letter. Your word is instruction. It's a lamp and a light, Father, and we thank you so much for it. May we meditate on your word. May we feast on it. May we eat it. May we long for it. May it be the first and last thing of our day. We pray, Father, that as we move ahead in our lives with you, that we would have just a uh, determination to keep eating off of our Father's plate. We love you, Lord, and we thank you for this word. In Jesus' name, amen.